Blog Talk Radio. afternoon to you and you know what that means it's time for post time with mike and mike presented by friends of maryland thunderbreds mike carter alongside of mike bozich and mike i tell you it's a snowy snowy day in cleveland ohio how are things going your way fantastic mike certainly appreciate everybody joining us on this edition of post time with mike and mike and mike we've got a star-studded show uh, for you today, uh, one of four drivers that has over 15,000 wins in the world. Tony Morgan, he's going to be joining us in uh, just a couple of minutes uh, to talk a little bit about uh, his uh, fantastic career so far. And uh, still a ways to go for Tony. A lot of wins to be had. Uh, Ryan Macedonio is going to be joining us. He is the uh, host of the Fantasy Trotcast, a fantastic podcast and uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit later on in the program. We're also going to uh, have Ross Petticord. Ross is the executive director of the Maryland Horse Industry Board. He's going to be joining us as well. And, of course, towards, uh, I would say, the back half of the show, about 145 or so, uh, post-time with Mike and Mike, we'll have its tribute to one of the great trotters of all time, Mac Lobel. We're going to be joined by his uh, regular driver, John Campbell, and we're going to go down memory lane a little bit with Mac Lobel, as well as Winnie Morgan Nemeth. She'll be joining us in the continuing series of uh, New Vocations. She'll tell us a little bit more about what they do, so you'll certainly want to stick around for that. But we've got a big show coming up today, Mike, and of course we've got the big show coming up on Sunday at 10 a.m. That's right. we got a big show coming up on Sunday. It's the Pre-Day Paris it's a field of 12, and it features world champion Bold Eagle. As Bold Eagle tries to become the first horse in 40 years, only the fourth horse to ever do it, uh, to win the Triple Crown in France. And uh, we're pr- proud to present the English version for you, and Mike Bozich will have the call. So, uh, so Mike, you got to get the study in there, huh? That's right. 12 horses. Now, Mike, did I get lucky or did I get lucky? 12 horses. Uh, it's not going to be the big 20-horse uh, five and six wide the whole race as we've seen, although I'm sure they're going to be wide, but it is 4,100 
and 50 meters. Uh, and, of course, Bold Eagle looking to become the first horse in uh, quite some time to win the French Triple Crown. And we'll have all the action for you right here on a very special edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. And it will get started at 10 a.m. Um, Mike, uh, anything else you want to bring up before we get to our first time out? I know you were watching the California Chrome Race and uh, over at Dubai. That just went off a few minutes ago, and he was victorious, correct? Yeah, he won by five lengths under Victor Espinoza, and uh, he definitely looked strong. So it's uh, nice to see one of the uh, Derby winners come back, and uh, that's pretty much all I got. Let's get to the uh, let's get to the first break. All right, let's take a timeout. When we come back, Tony Morgan will be joining us. You've got post time with Mike and Mike. Every dream has a start, and this one is ours. To trot and pace fast, faster than all the others and maybe faster than any horse ever has. With every stride, 1,200 pounds of pure equine determination. In every turn, there's a tale. Every bet is a hope. No five-year returns, no annuities, 401ks. Return on investment comes in second. Maybe they say that the odds are against you. But you know nothing great comes easy. Winners don't second guess. They sprint through openings and dig in deeper when the going's tough. No horse ever rides alone. The owners, the driver, the groom, and you. There are no sidelines here. The world is often full of many compromises, but not here. Not on this day. Not in this race. Not with this horse. Not in this sport. Once you feel it, it becomes you. Once you become it, your dream becomes ours. This is Harness Racing. We welcome you to the Harness Racing Fan Zone. See it all for yourself. Feel it in all the passion. Share that experience with others. And be a part of it all. The Harness Racing Fan Zone puts you in the driver's seat. Back on post time with Mike and Mike, Mike Bozich and Mike Carter. We certainly appreciate you joining us on this Thursday afternoon. And without further ado, let's bring in driver Tony Morgan. Driver's one, uh, Tony is one of four drivers in the world with over 15,000 wins. Tony, welcome to the program. I know you're not a big stats guy, but it certainly has to feel good to be uh, in that very elite company to have over 15,000 wins. Yeah, it's uh, it's a feather in my cap and. It's nice to be recognized by your peers. I always think that's a, uh, I always think it's more worthwhile than maybe by someone else. It's nice to be recognized by your peers. Now the other drivers, uh, of course, uh, Herbe Filion was one, uh, is one. Uh, Dave Pallone, and of course, uh, wearing the uh, gentleman from uh, Germany. Now, have you ever driven again? I know you've driven against Dave. Have you ever driven against uh, Herbe? Oh yeah, quite a bit. And what he was, was that Dover when, He was at Dover when I first came to Dover about 10 or 11 years ago. 
All right, visiting live with Tony Morgan, uh, one of the fantastic drivers in the sport of harness racing today. Now, Tony, tell us a little bit about your family. I know your, your family was big in new uh, harness racing. Of course, your dad, uh, Eddie Morgan Jr., had uh, well over 4,500 wins. Talk about the early days of one Tony Morgan. Well, I, I grew up in the business. It really was uh, uh, a passion that my whole family shared, and and everybody in my family for six generations raced horses. and. Uh, it was never, it was never a, a given or or uh, really encouraged early on that I be a driver. Uh, although that was my passion and everyone else's passion in the business, but uh, I I uh, quickly made it known that that's what I wanted, and everybody tried to steer me more towards school and that kind of stuff, and and uh, it did help a little bit, but I really came back to racing, uh, never really got out of it or, or strayed too far from it. It was a, a, vision, a business that I really liked, and everyone in my business and my family was uh, successful at it, and it just seemed a, a logical fit for me. I had a good... Um, desire to do it and I got to do what I liked for a living and that was that was really nice I never had to work for anybody and so I always thought that was a uh, the best way to live now when you were growing up uh, what at what point would you say that you said to yourself uh, you know what I'm going to make a living at this I'm, I want to be a driver for a living was it was it really early on oh yeah I've been I've been uh, driving since I was 13 and training since I was nine. And uh, I started warming horses up to race when I was 11. So there was no question before I even had any realization of money or or how to make a living. uh, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Now, whether, you know, later on, I guess if I wouldn't have been able to, support myself I guess I would have had to think about something else but I've always been really fortunate been able to support myself uh had a lot of mentors a lot of uh helpful hands along the way and and I got a a huge head start because of my family background and and my father and my grandfather were were really good role models yeah Tony uh this is Mike Carter joining uh with you uh what is one of the horses that kind of sticks out that you've driven i know you've driven a ton of race horses and uh, have a ton of wins but is there a race horse that sticks out in your mind that you've driven that might be one above the rest well early on in my career uh, i my grandfather found the horse for me and and i bought the horse for an owner and he ended up being the first top horse on the circuit that I ever had, a horse named Kelly Tuck Nicole. And uh, he was always one of my favorites just because of that. I've had a lot of horses I admired and not necessarily good horses. They were just horses I admired and enjoyed racing. And I, I kind of have a different perspective than most people about horses. My my favorite's always the last one I drove or the last one I got. I I really enjoy the challenge and after I've driven them a little while or been associated with them for a little while they 
it's kind of like kissing your sister, not much thrill. So, Visiting with Tony Morgan, uh, one of four drivers in the world that has over 15,000 wins, a five-time driving champion, four-time HTA driver of the year. Now, Tony, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Chicago days. Now, I remember when I was growing up, and I my dad used to take me, especially to Balmoral Park, is uh, kind of where I grew up. And even the the days where Balmoral was the old five eights, and and even the days I'm sure you remember, Tony, where they had the mile track around the five eights, and they used to have to race the first five races on the mile, and the last five or six races or so on the five eights. Do, do you remember that at all? Yeah, I remember when it was five eights. I. Uh, when I first started racing there, uh, I was racing on the uh, the B circuit in Illinois. I was racing back and forth from St. Louis to Moline, and uh, we went back and forth. And when I got a, a horse good enough to go to Chicago, that's what I did. I started shipping up to Balmoral and racing a little bit and shipping into Sportsman's Park and racing a little bit. Of course, Sportsman's Park. Uh, I had a chance to fill in at Hawthorne uh, over the uh, January-February uh, meet for uh, Peter Galassi. And, you know, Tony, you had a chance to drive up against some of the Chicago greats, Dave McGee, Dale Heitman, Andy Miller. Tim Tietrich was out there at one point. I mean, it was just a, a fantastic driving colony. I know uh, back in the late 90s you were president of the uh, the IHHA. Can you tell us a little bit about those days, talk a little bit about Chicago racing and what exactly went on during that period? Well, it was it was pretty much a heyday, or it was in, in my lifetime, or in my tenure there. Uh, it it was a exciting circuit. It was uh, consistent all year long. We went for real good money. The horse colony was plentiful. Uh, everybody from the Midwest uh, kind of desired to race in Chicago if they could, and. Uh, so we had a good influx of horses, had a good driving colony. Um, I got along really well. Uh, I was very fortunate to pick up some, pick up some good accounts. And uh, it worked out well for me. I, I, As far as being the president of the IHHA, um, I think it was probably the most rewarding job I ever had, but it was probably the hardest job I ever had. Um, but I, I liked it. I enjoyed it, and I uh, I really thought it was a chance for me to give something back to the business. Now, Tony, this might be a little bit of an obvious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Of course, uh, back in the late 90s, the early 2000s, it was uh, it, w- it was time to go. I mean, Chicago racing it had uh, you know kind of peaked, and, and the grass was certainly greener out east. What what actually prompted the move? from Chicago to uh, the Delaware area? Uh, There was a turning point legislatively um, where I felt that uh, it was a bit of a shell game that uh, the politicians were, um, uh, let's see, the politicians were having a huge windfall because of the almost getting slots. As long as we were almost getting slots, everyone in the horse industry, everyone in the gaming industry was throwing every nickel they had at Springfield to try to either make sure slots didn't come in or make sure slots did come in. 
and I felt that the ultimate goal of the politicians in Illinois was to get as close to getting slots as they could without getting them. And that kept the boats throwing the most money at them they ever did. It kept the horse racing industry from giving up. And I I'm, I hate when I'm wrong in that scenario, or when I'm right in that scenario, but it ended up I was right that they've, every session since then, have been so close to getting slots and never never gotten them. I don't think they're close to getting slots, and I sure hope I'm wrong, but I felt that there was no chance of getting slots, and that's why I left. I, I didn't see it surviving without them. There was nothing that could really turn the business around without it. I didn't, I felt, and so that's why I left. Now, Tony, uh, what's, uh, what's 2016 look like for you? I know you've been kind of driving in Delaware a little bit and, you know, in Pennsylvania. What's, what's 2016 hold for Tony Morgan? Well, I'm a day-to-day guy, not a year-to-year or a decade-to-decade guy. I, I just try to have a good day every day. And uh, so far this year has been, been very good for me. I've been doing really well. And uh, so, you know, I try to have a good day every day, and the bad days I try to turn the page and move on to the next one. Well, it's certainly a pleasure to see you drive out there, Tony, and in, in, uh, getting it done, over 15,000 wins and growing. Now, uh, after your racing career is over, Tony, do you have any ideas that uh, that you think may be able to help the industry a little bit? Oh, I, I've always got ideas that I think will help the industry, but... Um, I think everybody does, or I hope everybody in the business does. I, uh, and I'm pretty outspoken about when I do have an idea. So usually everybody around me knows it. So, um, I don't candy coat much of it. So I'm sure if, uh, if anybody listens, they'll hear it. All right, Tony Morgan, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining post time with Mike and Mike, and uh, it's a pleasure watching you drive out there and get it done out there. And, uh, and we look forward to many uh, more driving wins for uh, Tony Morgan. Thank you. All right, that was Tony Morgan. What a what a career this guy's had, Mike. And like I say, I remember, you know, when my dad used to take me to the races uh, when I was growing up at Balmoral Park and Maywood and Hawthorne and Sportsman. I mean, he was just such a force in the late 90s and early 2000s in the Chicagoland area. I mean, every horse that, that he was driving, you had to pay extra special attention to, Mike, no matter what the past performance lines looked like. Yeah, definitely. And he has had a fantastic career. And, Mike, I'll tell you, you, you know, you couldn't have opened up 2015 any better than having his 15,000th victory in the very first race. Well, I'm telling you, you know, I want, and of course, you know, when you, when you start a meet, you're coming off a couple of month layoff and you're like, oh, you know, a couple of good, easy races to get you back into the mix. And uh, that was not to be for 2015 because Lightning Moon started drawing off and I'm thinking, oh, what a great way to start the meet. And actually it was Tony Morgan's 15,000th win, you know, uh, getting to that upper echelon of drivers, not only in uh, the country here in North America, but the world. And uh, it's just been a pleasure to watch Tony Morgan drive as I was growing up. And to get a chance to call his 15,000th win, well, I'll tell you what, that was certainly, 
certainly a treat and uh, a feather in my cap in my career, i got to tell you. Well, Mike, we've got uh, a lot to talk about. We've got Ryan Macedonio on deck, the uh, host of the Fantasy Trotcast. He'll be joining us near the bottom of the hour. We've also got Ross Petticord uh, going to be uh, joining us a little bit later on. Ross is the executive director of the Maryland Horse Industry Board. They had a big day just a couple of days ago. Uh, Maryland uh, Horse Industry Day, and we'll talk to Ross about the going-ons there. And then, of course, don't forget, you're going to want to stay tuned for this. Towards the, I'd say about the 145, 150 mark or so, we're going to be joined by John Campbell. We're going to go down memory lane. We're going to talk a little bit about the great Trotter, Mac Lobel. You're certainly going to want to stick around for that. And on deck also, we've got Wendy Morgan Nemus. She'll tell us a little bit more about new vocations and the ongoing series uh, with that. You've got post time with Mike and Mike. We'll be right back in just a moment. Did you know a MagnaWave treatment can relieve pain, reduce inflammation, improve movement, and increase blood oxygen? Call Maria Ringler, a certified MagnaWave practitioner, at 302-922-0917 to schedule your appointment today at your own barn. Like our Facebook page, The Essential Touch LLC, and check out our website, TheEssentialTouchLLC.com. Catch the wave. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Hey, Trotcast fans, we had two unbelievable events occur this week. Shane McMahon returned to the WWE. He's going to face Undertaker at WrestleMania. And Mike Tanner, the CEO and Executive Vice President of the U.S. Trotting Association, was the special guest interview on this week's Trotcast episode. Download the Trotcast, Google it, it's on the Harness Racing Fan Zone and the Harness Racing Fan Zone app on your smartphone. Welcome back to Post Time with Mike and Mike. Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich. And uh, Mike, I'll tell you, we've got a star-studded show throughout the rest of the program, but Let's talk about Sunday for a little bit. The pre-day Paris is coming up, and it drew a field of 12. And I'll tell you, you know, Bold Eagle and Tomoku uh, are 11 and 12. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to start out there. No, they've got kind of an interesting start. It's not a gated start. It's uh, going to be a... Uh, kind of a, a free start, if you will, and uh, bold. And I guess it doesn't really matter where they line up. They just line up, I guess, wherever the heck they want, as, as far as I know. But uh, yeah, you've got the matchup coming up once again, Bold Eagle and Tomoko. And you know, to and take nothing away from Tomoko. I mean, this is a horse in the first two legs of the French Triple Crown has just battled very, very hard, especially the last race where this horse uh, had the lead and really had to hold off challenges throughout the race. And uh, Bold Eagle with that 3-4 uh, wide journey throughout was just able to uh, look Tomoko in the eye. And when they got into the stretch, Tomoko fought gamely, but uh, Bold Eagle was able to wear him down. But you have to ask yourself, Mike, once again, just like in the third leg of the Thoroughbred Triple Crown, distance. I mean, we've got 40, it's 4150. It's over two miles, 4,150 4, meters the distance on this particular race. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, listen, I'm going to have to talk for four minutes straight. Now, believe me, I don't have a problem talking for four minutes straight, but uh, I think this will certainly be a first to announce a race four minutes straight. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, you know, like you were saying, Bold Eagle in his last trip was just an absolutely dominating uh, performance. He was three wide just about the entire mile. And the one thing about Bold Eagle, he's – 
the youngest horse in the race. Now, Bird Parker is also five years old, and it's just unreal the amount of work ethic that this horse has. And uh, there's a couple other horses that I, you know, kind of have my eye on. Uh, the four, Yunus de Guiz, I believe that's how you say it. We were talking a little bit before the show on how to say a couple of these names. Uh, has finished first in his last two starts as well. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of challengers uh, that Bold Eagle will face, especially from horses that may line up further inside. Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, it, it post is uh, definitely going to matter in starting spot. I think it's going to matter. Although four and a half, or two and a half, uh, uh, just under two and a half miles. I mean, certainly horses are going to have an opportunity to tuck in and really jockey for a position and get position. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that we've talked about, Mike, and, you know, you start to watch these overseas races, is the fact that these horses just don't mind racing wide. I mean, here, you know, in the States, it's very important to get pylon position or rail position and to try to save as much ground as you possibly can. Or if you're in the outer flow, it's very important here in the States or in North America, you know, to try to work out a cover journey if you are outside. You know, first over can be a tough thing for a lot of horses or being wide most of the mile, usually in the United States, quite frankly, is a death sentence. I mean, if you're parked out, I mean, very, very few horses can win parked out uh, the whole mile, uh, regardless of talent. Now, you look overseas, it's definitely a different ballgame. These horses are not afraid to go three, four wide the whole mile, as a matter of fact. Uh, so stamina is certainly a big, big trait that overseas horses have, and uh, Bold Eagle's certainly no exception, and Tomoku's no exception. So it's going to be a fantastic race. But like you say, you know, are the, is there somebody waiting in the weeds? I know there always is when you come down to the Belmont Stakes, when you talk thoroughbreds and the Triple Crown, there's always somebody waiting for that extra distance that's bred for that extra distance that may have not raced in the first two legs of the triple crown or may have only raced uh, in the derby or the preakness that benefits from the longer distance so it's going to be interesting to see if there's anybody in this race that can do that mike yeah definitely you see at least one new shooter in the horse i was talking about earlier uh in the four horse because he's won his last two races obviously he didn't face bold eagle so it'll be interesting to see uh to see what happens there well, Mike, coming up, uh, we have Winnie Morgan Nemeth coming on from New Vocations, and I really enjoyed this series. Uh, she's really talked a lot about uh, some of their adoption program, and we've talked about their uh, auction, uh, their breeding auction, which was a lot of fun to listen to. But before we get to that, we'd like to really thank our sponsors um, and a couple of folks that kind of support us on a regular basis. Mike, uh, we really thank the United States Trotting Association and DRF Harness who have, uh, who have so graciously carried our link uh, to the show. You can find our link right on our press release on their website, and it's blinking for you. It says live, and you cannot miss it. But, uh, Mike, we, we want to thank the Fantasy Trotcast as well with Ryan Macedonio and a couple more, correct? Right. Ryan's on deck. You're going to hear him in just a couple of minutes. But uh, don't forget Essential Touch. Uh, our good friends, uh, Rich and Maria Wrangler, to use their services, all you have to do is mention that you heard it here with Post Time with Mike and Mike, and you get 20% off uh, your bill. So make sure that uh, when you get to Essential Touch, say, hey, I heard it right here on Post Time with Mike and Mike, and boom, you get 20% off your bill. But uh, special thanks to friends of Maryland Standard Breads. Uh, Clarissa Coughlin's done a fantastic job, and we certainly appreciate her support uh, of this uh, program as well as uh, everybody um, you know that has uh, supported us. And uh, it's been a great, great ride. 
But, uh, Mike, without further ado, I, I think let's hear from New Vocations. Uh, like you said, Winnie's done a fantastic job. It's very important, Mike, to we make sure that our equine athletes out there are taken care of after the racing days. And that's exactly what Wendy Morgan, Nemeth, and New Vocations are all about. So without further ado, let's hear from New Vocations on Post Time with Mike and Mike. Hi, I'm Winnie Morgan Nemeth, and I'm the Standardbred Program Director for New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Our mission at New Vocations is to stand in the gap for non-competitive racehorses, providing a peaceful environment and skilled hands to assist in their transition to riding horses. We then place these horses in experienced, loving homes that will continue their education so each has a skill and therefore a future. As the daughter of a fifth-generation harness horseman and growing up in the industry, I have seen and learned quickly the importance of a true war horse that has the try, grit, and athleticism to race each week. That is why when we get the chance to get one of these horses in our program, I love the opportunity to help these champions go on and have a successful second career. In January of this year, due to mandatory age requirement, Ohio trainer Ryan Loney sent Activator to new vocations. This 2001 Pacer by Western Hanover won his last career start at Northfield Park on December 28th with driver Ronnie Wren Jr. Activator raced 387 times and earned $907,000. For at least half of his career, Activator had been a claimer. He had been claimed 33 times and made money from a majority of his owners. Activator arrived to us happy and sound and transitioned easily to being a riding horse. A few weeks into having him, one of his former trainers, Mike Breeley, contacted me to let me know how much he cared for him and really wanted to adopt him. Mike told me that he had claimed Activator for 33000 raised him for almost four years. Activator had earned him over 400000 and he noted that Activator had made money for almost every owner that had ever owned him. He and his longtime groom had followed the horse for the past few years, including the super final year he had in 2015. Mike was thrilled that Activator was now going under saddle, as his wife also enjoyed riding. He explained how excited they were to have this chance to have this great horse back in their barn. Activator left this week and is heading back to his longtime trainer, Mike Breedley. We were thrilled to hear this story, as it is a true testament to how much those in our industry do care for their horses. To learn how you can adopt a horse, donate a horse, or support our mission of helping retired standard reds in second careers, Please visit our website at newvocations.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Post time with Mike and Mike would like to invite you to join us in positively promoting the sport of harness racing. Our advertising rates are extremely reasonable, and if you sign up for a one-month sponsorship package now, you get one week free. free. That's right, one week free. free. For more information on how you can sponsor Post Time with Mike and Mike, please email us at ptmikeandmike at yahoo.com. Also, follow us on social media on Facebook, Post Time with Mike and Mike. Also on Twitter at ptmikeandmike1.
We're back with Post Time with Mike and Mike. Mike Bozich, Mike Carter at the bottom of the hour. Once again, time is flying by, and we certainly appreciate you joining us on this Thursday. Well, we're joined by the host of the Fantasy Trotcast, Ryan Macedonio. And I guess you could say, Ryan, that the hostile takeover of Post Time with Mike and Mike has begun. Do you remember going way back in the day when Nitro was getting ready and WCW was getting ready to close up shop and Vince all of a sudden appeared that Monday? Is this, what we're, is this what's going on here? This, yeah, this is exactly it. Uh, thank you, guys. I, I want it to be a hostile takeover, but it could be friendly. You know, that was back when Lex Luger took over Nitro. He joined over and uh, flipped ship, and that, that's the start of the Monday Night War. So maybe uh, – I don't want a Monday Night War, though. we we got to work together on these uh, podcasts. <laughs> no question about it. L- listen, buddy, we certainly appreciate you joining us. And uh, you do great work, man. We're definitely – Mike Carter and myself, big fans of the show – and uh, tell us about how Fantasy uh, Trotcast came about. Uh, when when did uh, you decide to get this thing going? Well, uh, going back to the wrestling uh, angle, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Wrestling has a, a great number of podcasts. So, uh, the Steve Austin Show, The Ross Report, Chris Jericho has his own podcast, Cole Cabana. So, yeah, I kind of started listening to those and, and took notes on how they did their format. Each show is different. And um, I decided, you know what, why don't we do this for horse racing? I like to talk. I think people like to hear me talk. So uh, I could sit there in a room and talk to myself all day. So I might as well try to make some money out of it and and, uh, get people's stories out there. Now, Ryan, uh, I've heard a ton of your commercials. And a lot of times I don't hear them until Mike uploads them and I play them. How do you come up with, how do you, how do you come up with these, bud? I literally just sit down, and uh, the first thing that comes to my mind, that's what I do. Uh, I try to make everything different, unique, try to keep up with current events. One of the things that I name every week, and that's kind of what we do. So we try to be punny, and commercials are the same thing. This week I did a Shane McMahon thing because of wrestling. I've done Walking Dead. I've done Star Wars. I've done all sorts of different uh, commercials to try to make it funny, unique, and not monotonous. Ryan Macedonio, the host of Fantasy Trotcast, uh, joining us now. Ryan, one of the things, and I think Mike Carter alluded to, one of the things that uh, we really enjoy about uh, your podcast, and I'm sure a lot of other people do as well, is that, uh, you know, you bring a little bit of a lighter side out of these guys. And sometimes, you know, when you're out there racing horses, I mean, it's tough because, you know, you're racing horses during the day, you're racing horses at night. A lot of these guys and gals are up at 4 or 5 in the morning and they don't go to bed till midnight, 1, 2 in the morning, and then they're right back at it. So a lot of times getting these guys uh, and gals to, you know, to just ex- exposing their lighter side, is it can be tough a little bit. Do you, do you find that tough at all or do these uh, do they open up right up to you? Uh, it's tough with some people. I, I find that the, the radio shows and the audio podcasts are a little bit easier because they don't have to stand there and look at a camera. When I do my interviews, when I go to the racetrack, it's a little bit more difficult, but I try to, I try to start the interview off very, very fun so that you kind of lighten the mood right off the get. Uh, and, and I find that that helps relieve the pressure a little bit. A lot of these people I've never actually met before talking to them actually on the podcast i would send usually when i set up an interview i just email somebody or call them on the phone and say let's set it up and they want to go through a whole shtick of how we're going to do the interview and i say i don't really know what we're going to talk about so just have fun with it and let's have a conversation and uh, i find that that lighter side is it works it's, it's been working so far i haven't had a 
that interview. I'm, I'm sure that at some point I will, and I will have to dump it, but um, so far, so good. Now, Ryan, uh, I, I know you've talked with Jeff Corral. You recently talked with uh, Mike Tedder. Who, out of all the people you've interviewed, and listen, just because Mike Bozich is on the show, you don't have to you Mike know, make Bozich. his head big. <laughs> but but who, is your, who is your favorite podcast interview? Um. <laughs> Well, again, Mike Bozich is number one, obviously, in my uh, in my opinion. But I, actually, that was a very good interview. We talked about a lot of different things and a lot of innovative stuff, and that's what I like to talk about. So it was one of my favorite interviews. Uh, I would say that Jason Bartlett interview was was very good. Uh, we did it right at his home, and and Jason's a great guy. Uh, you know, uh, I've gotten to know Jason pretty well. George Brennan was great. He was funny. He was lighthearted. I've interviewed um, Ron Pierce and and some of you know Marcus Miller. Uh, he's my age, so maybe I have a little bit of preference towards him because he's my age. Amy Holler was that was that was so interesting. I she's she's unique in her own right. Um, she has her personality and and she sticks to it and she doesn't hide anything, which I think that whatever your personality is, you just have to stick to it and embrace it and um she does a great job of that so all, all my interviews i've learned a lot from each one and hopefully i can uh keep doing more i'm, I'm going to be trying to ramp up my uh my output uh coming up in 2016 so ryan macedonia with the fantasy Troncast joining us ryan one more question before we let you go um and you know we we've talked about this quite a bit we've talked about it off the air we've, we talked about it when you know you had me on the fantasy Troncast. we talked about some ideas that could maybe help out the industry and help out harness racing. If you had to point to one specific idea, and I know you've got a lot of them, I know you've got a lot of them, but if you had to point to one specific idea that you think that can help the industry the most, what would it be? I think it would have to be the distribution of our content and our media. Uh, I think that cable is outdated. And if you look at the numbers, it is following. And um, I think that we have to, work more towards distributing our media, our replays, our content, our podcasts on newer types of media like Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Yahoo Sports, YouTube Live. Uh, we, I, I think that the, the Hamiltonian should be broadcast on Yahoo Sports Live instead of CBS Sports, uh, whatever channel they put us on because they don't give us the proper care for covering our, our big sports. I think that Yahoo Sports, YouTube Live, things like that would really dedicate the, the proper time and distribution for, for our bigger races and, and more than the bigger races. We need more than three or four of our bigger races on TV. And then the replays, too. Uh, I, I'm sitting at home. I live in New York. I've never been in a little brown jug. I, mean, I remember watching it, waiting for the race replays for Wiggle It, Jiggle It. And there wasn't an official replay put on YouTube for almost two days. I had to watch the replay. Somebody recorded their phone off the TV and then put it on YouTube. So it was a really bad quality, but I had that's how I was able to watch the, the Lil Brown Jug, and that's unacceptable in my opinion. So I think that we need to do a better job of getting replays up quicker. Breeders' Crown, Little Brown Jug, all the big stakes races, the Grand Circuit, get them up on YouTube five minutes after the race is done so that people on – the internet can watch it, can uh, embrace it, can consume it, and then can talk about it on social media. Because the race was spoiled for me on Facebook because I wasn't able to watch it live. And then I couldn't watch a replay quick enough. So I was trying not to see who won the low brown jug. And then all of a sudden my Facebook blows up with, oh, my God, 
greatest race of all time, and then I didn't have a chance to see it because there was no no way to watch the replay. So that's that's one of the most frustrating things, uh, in my opinion. And we want to get younger people in the sport. That's how uh, that's how you're going to get people to embrace it. Talking about it on that's social media. Yep. That's the bad thing about uh, watching Walking Dead on demand. Somebody always on my Facebook page blows Ooh. it, and I, you know, forget it. So, anyway, Lorraine, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, my friend. And real quick before we let you go, and we've got your commercial queued up right after you, uh, but uh, you, we're going to give you we're going to give you a double bang for your buck. Uh, where could we find your uh, Where can we find the Fantasy Trotcast? I know it's all over the place. Yeah, I have uh, all different media apps because each media app is is specific for different phones laptops, cars, consoles, Xbox, things like that. So just Google the Trotcast. You'll find it on the Harness Racing Fan Zone, their app, iHeartRadio, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, iTunes. I got it everywhere. So just Google the Trotcast or my name, and uh, you can contact me on Facebook and things like that, and I will be happy to respond. So uh, I'll direct you in the right uh, direction. So do my shameless promotion right now. I love that. The one, the only, Ryan Macedonia. Listen, buddy, we certainly appreciate you joining us. We appreciate your fresh ideas and thinking out of the box, and uh, we'll certainly be listening to your show going forward. All right. Thank you, broskies. All right. That was uh, Ryan Macedonia, the host of the Fantasy Trotcast. We are teaching every one of you to check him out. Like I say, just Google it. I mean, he's all over the place. Uh, all you have to do is uh, go ahead and Google it, and, uh, and uh, you can find him, Mike. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Mike, I, I was going to bring it up while he was on, but I, I, you know, this is sort of me and your inside joke a little bit. You know what he should do a podcast on next? Uh, uh, the $2 show better. Well, then, yeah, then that would, be, that would mean you'd be the next, uh, you'd be the next <laughs> candidate. You'd be definitely the uh, the next guest out of his program. Listen, we've got, That's the, right. yeah. We've got the executive director of the Maryland Horse Industry, Boyd Ross Petticord, coming up on Post Time with Mike and Mike. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll hear from Ross. We'll be back. Did you know a MagnaWave treatment can relieve pain, reduce inflammation, improve movement, and increase blood oxygen? Call Maria Ringler, a certified MagnaWave practitioner, at 302-922-0917 to schedule your appointment today at your own barn. Like our Facebook page, Essential Touch LLC. Check out our website, TheEssentialTouchLLC.com. Catch the wave! This week on the Trotcast, where we're going, we don't need roads. My special guest interview this week is CEO and Executive Vice President of the U.S. Trotting Association, Mike Tanner. Find out where the interview goes. Download the Trotcast on the Harness Racing Fan Zone, the Harness Racing Fan Zone app on your smartphone. Google it, too. We're also available on a bunch of other media apps. All right, we're back on post time with Mike and Mike, Mike Bozich, Mike Carter. We certainly appreciate you joining us on this Thursday. Plenty more left on the program. Don't forget, a little bit later on, in uh, just about 10 or 15 minutes or so, John Campbell's going to be joining us, and we're going to go down memory lane. We're going to talk about one of the great trotters of all time, Mac Lobel, who recently passed away just a couple of days ago, and uh, we're going to talk about one of the great ones in this industry with another of the great ones in this industry, Mac Lobel and John Campbell. But joining us first, we've got the executive director of the Maryland Horse Industry Boyd, Ross Pettigore, joining us on the program. Ross, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. 
Hey, Mike, thanks a lot for the opportunity. Great, great show. With, thank you. We just uh, we just had a, a pretty big day in Maryland a couple of days ago, the Maryland Horse Industry Day. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, Ross, uh, what is the function of the Maryland Horse Industry Board? Can you explain that to our listeners a little bit? Sure. Uh, we are uh, a part, a program within the Maryland Department of Agriculture. Uh, our job is we license uh, riding schools, uh, boarding stables, rescue and rental operations, of which there are about 770 of those that we license and we inspect them to make sure the horses are taken care of. These are commercial operations. Uh, thoroughbred, standard bred, and steeplechase operations are exempt from being licensed by us. They kind of fall under the Maryland Racing Commission. And uh, so we're kind of a non-racing uh, component of that licensing process. And our other big job is a commodities board to be kind of an economic development engine for the horse industry uh, to promote uh, growth of the horse industry, bring about awareness, and market horses in Maryland. So it's a, it's a great job and a great state uh, to do that in. We have a great and long tradition here of, of horses in Maryland. You know, one of the things, and of course, we're basically in, in uh, harness and horse racing, and one of the things I don't think people realize is how deep the horse industry is. I mean, even away from racing and how uh, so entrenched in agriculture that it really is. And, you know, I mean, there's so much more to horse racing than what people see beyond the track uh, as far as agriculture is concerned. And I was reading you guys had a, a nice uh, little flyer out about Maryland Horse Industry Day, uh, like we talked about, was just a few days ago. Talk about some of the happenings there and, and uh, some of the things that were discussed. And great you brought that up. We have over 40 breeds of horses in Maryland, 35 different equestrian disciplines, and they range from harness racing to thoroughbred racing to fox hunting, steeplechasing, trail riding, dressage, polo. Western is growing really big in this state, barrel racing and reining. You name it, it's here. And um, so and uh, more than 200 uh, horse organizations. So the idea was to uh, bring everybody together and have a to make our legislators aware of the power of the horse industry. We have a, a $1.6 billion annual impact, uh, economic impact on the state of Maryland. Uh, you're right, it spreads to all parts of agriculture. Horse people spend about $80 million a year on horse feed, uh, hay, straw, um, all of those uh, grains and um, and feeds and, uh, that are grown and, uh, four horses in the state of Maryland. Uh, so that's a big impact in itself. Uh, plus, of course, all the other services, farriers, veterinarians, real estate agents, uh, everything you can think of, fencing and construction. I mean, it has a huge impact on the state of Maryland and its economy, uh, not to mention open space. And we have 16,000 horse farms in Maryland. That's astronomical for a state our size and uh we have more horses per square foot than any other state in the country and uh so it's really um a great horse state very saturated with horses um and a lot of people don't know that 
And uh, so that's where we're trying to increase that awareness and also to let people know how they can enjoy horses. Uh, they don't have to ride. They can come as spectators to our tracks. We have wonderful harness racing at Ocean Downs in the summer, Rosecroft. Uh, the Frederick Fair has harness racing. There's a little uh, fair down uh, on the eastern shore in Pocomoke. It has a day of harness racing. Uh, you can drive to the beach and see all the, the harness racing tracks and farms uh, along on your way to the beach, and there are a lot of those. I mean, um, uh, but they can also volunteer, and I think a lot of people just enjoy being around horses and being able to see them. Uh, you know, there are lots of scientific proof about the benefits of, of being around horses that's being massed these days, so... It's all good. Now, Russ, um, how long has the industry board been around in the Department of Agriculture? We started um, in 1998, so that would be 18 years ago. And um, previous to that, our licensing program had started in 1968. So that's almost a 50-year program, and that started – out under the Department of Labor and Licensing Regulation, which oversees the Racing Commission, and then it moved over to the Department of Agriculture 18 years ago in 1998. Ross Pettigrew, the Executive Director of the Maryland Horse Industry Board, joining us. Ross, before we let you go, uh, one of the interesting things uh, that I found when I was doing some show prep is Maryland, the state of Maryland, actually has a reciprocal relationship with uh, Sweden. Uh, of all places. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the Swedish horse industry and the horse industry in the state of Maryland? Yeah, I mean, it, it was something that really turned out. Um, um, we had uh, publishers of Gallup magazine from Sweden visit one of our horse stables, and the owner called and said, I, I have these folks from Sweden here. Could you show them around Maryland? Of course, that's part of my job is to promote Maryland horses, particularly to uh, publishers of world-class magazines. So um, uh, we spent three or four days with these folks. They fell in love with Maryland. Uh, they got involved with Maryland Jockey Club on some um, uh, promotions and possible business ventures. Uh, the publishers came back for the Preakness, the men are secretary of ag, and, you know, they said, you know, you should come and visit us in Sweden. In the meantime, uh, we found out they have a huge harness industry uh, and standard bread racing industry in Sweden. And uh, we tapped into that Winback Farm, uh, which is, you know, a large standard bread breeding farm in Maryland, uh, you know, buys and sells horses in Sweden, uh, ships genetics over there. I think out of their, their top selling yearlings this past year, the two top ones were bought by Swedish buyers. So it was sort of a, a natural relationship. So we went over there and visited them. And on a grant from the U.S. Livestock Genetics Export um, Association, and then we got another grant to bring the Swedish folks back here. We took in a day of harness racing, and we've got another grant to go back this year. And uh, I believe Garrett Bell, who's the manager of Winback, is going to be going with us. Uh, previously, Eli Solomon went with us. He is a uh, horse owner, uh, harness horse owner, and represents the standard bred sector on our board. Went with us and found, you know, some of his stallions are among the leading uh, stallions in Sweden and Denmark. And 
We went to the Swedish uh, Trotting Derby, and some of the horses racing that day were offspring of his stallions. So um, uh, there's more connections. We also have a large Swedish warm blood breeder in Maryland, has the biggest uh, Swedish warm blood uh, sport horse operation on the East Coast, and she's going to be going with us back to Sweden in June. So uh, it's one of those things that has just developed. Uh, Sweden has more horseback uh, uh, riders than than any other country in the world uh, per capita. Uh, they have about 9 million people and about 900 um, licensed uh, stables or riding clubs, they call them. In Maryland, we have 5.9 million people and uh, 770 licensed riding stables, as we call them. So there's a lot of synergies back and forth, plus the connection with the harness industry. So it's turned out to be uh, a good relationship. Ross Pettigord, the executive director of the Maryland Horse Industry Board. Ross, we certainly appreciate you joining us. And and I know as a Maryland resident, I'm certainly looking forward to the future uh, of uh, racing in the state of Maryland. Great. We had, you know, a great turnout of Horse Industry Day. We visited. We had five cabinet secretaries, the lieutenant governor, 55 lawmakers were involved, and about 150 horse people came to Annapolis. And we're going to make it bigger and better every year so our our public officials know uh, what a great industry we have here. That's terrific. Ross, we certainly appreciate you joining us on the program here today. Thank you so much. Bye. All right, that was Ross uh, Pettigorn, the executive director of the Maryland Horse Industry Board, and, and uh, certainly, Mike, I, I know uh, you know I've had a chance to fill in at Rosecroft quite a bit, a chance to fill in at Ocean Downs quite a bit, and uh, had a chance to go to Laurel uh, as a racing fan uh, a couple of times, and the improvements that they've made, Mike, at Laurel uh, is just astounding, and uh, it's it's a wonderful place. It looks fantastic. They've put a lot of money into it. The racing is great. They've got full fields there. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, for a racing fan, it's uh, it's a great product to uh, watch and wager on. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, he provided a lot of great information. So it was nice to hear uh, what they did and what they stand for. No question. Well, when we come back, we're going to go down memory lane, our tribute to Mac Bell. We've got driver John Campbell on deck. He's going to be joining us. And we're going to talk about uh, one of the greatest trotters of all time. And we're going to be hearing from one of the greatest drivers of all time. That's up next on Post Time with Mike and Mike. Post Time with Mike and Mike would like to invite you to join us in positively promoting the sport of harness racing. Our advertising rates are extremely reasonable. And if you sign up for a one-month sponsorship package now, you get one week free. free. That's right, one week free. free. For more information on how you can sponsor Post Time with Mike and Mike, please email us at ptmikeandmike at yahoo.com. Also, follow us on social media on Facebook, Post Time with Mike and Mike. Also, on Twitter at PT Mike and Mike One. What a horse! What a driver! It's Mike Lopel with the lead by five. Classic Jazz is second. Down the lane they come. It's Mike Lopel now by seven and drawn away. Nummer ett, Mac Lobel, följt av två, Sugar Kane, Hanover och fyra, Napolitano. What the host, what the driver, nummer ett, Mac Lobel och John D. Campbell. Let's go and start level. They found their best drive. Up by the Arroyo. They passed the 
Time with Mike and Mike. You've got Bozich and Carter, and right now we're joined by Hall of Fame driver John Campbell. And uh, John, just a couple of days ago, Harness Racing lost uh, one of its greats, one of the best riders of all time, and Mac Lobel. What did this horse mean to you personally and professionally, John? Well, from a personal standpoint, I I just had so much admiration for him, and I knew how gifted he was when I was driving. It wasn't something that I thought back on and and realized you know, how great he was. I knew going through it that this was really, really special. And, um, it, uh, from a, from a personal, that, that's from a personal standpoint, professionally, he certainly, uh, made my name known worldwide just because of the feats of Mac Lobel. I mean, uh, you know, certainly winning the Hamiltonian and then going over to the elite lap, uh, he kind of carried me along for the, for the ride from a, a fame standpoint. Now, John, uh, as a two-year-old, he was a Breeders' Crown champion. And uh, when did you first realize that Mac LaBelle was going to be uh, something special? Well, when I first started driving him, it was in early in his two-year-old year, he, he had a tendency for his mind to wander, and you really had to watch him through the stretch. Like, he'd be trotting along, and he might veer out, or he might go off stride, or he just wouldn't pay attention. And we kind of dealt with that. He, he was second in the Peter Houghton stake, which is obviously a big stake for us uh, the first time I drove him. And um, he won some races. He really didn't get it all to click in until we went to Delaware for a little brown jug week. He had a two-year-old stake there, and he raced two heats there. And both heats that day, he just raced like a pro, and it kind of clicked. And from then on in his two-year-old year, he, he just he never made any mistakes. He um, you know, was very professional and, and knew what he was out there for from then on. John, did uh, Mac Lobel have any preference as far as size of track is concerned? Half mile, five-eighths mile. Did he get around the half pretty good? Yeah, he got around a half perfect. I mean, he, he broke that world record of Neville Prides that had stood for so long at Saratoga. You know, he won at Yonkers. Um, you know, he and obviously the mile track, he had no problem there. That's what kind of made him so great. It didn't matter where you took him or what kind of track he raced over or what kind of surface. Uh, it, it didn't affect him at all. He was just so pure gated. He could get around any track. And Don, I, uh, I watched one of your interviews uh, before the elite lap and saw that Chuck Sylvester had some trouble getting him to go. Was he just, was he in a grumpy mood that day or was he just moody or? Uh, no, I, he had a tendency to be that way. He hadn't really shown it much before he went to uh, 
Sweden that year, but that kind of went back to what I talked to him when he started. I talked about when he was a two-year-old. His mind would wander, and you know he just wouldn't pay attention. And there were times, you know, he if he got off by himself, you know, he wouldn't didn't want to go. He was better around horses if he could hear them, and uh, it kind of manifested itself more so than we ever thought about when he went over to Sweden and it it was a scary situation it was a frantic call I got from Chuck uh when he wouldn't train and I, I just thought well put him with horses Chuck and he says I already did that and he put him on the <laughs> gate and, and he trotted the the starter in Sweden said he never had the gate going as fast as he did and Max Nose was right on it trotting out of the gate on the five-eighths mile track and he was literally standing still in the middle of the first turn he just went out of there 35 mile an hour and was stopped in the first turn. So he definitely had something on his mind that he didn't want to work. And we were all concerned, you know, going into the race, but, uh, you know, he overcame it and, you know, showed just, you know, what a world-class trotter he was. And, you know, for a four-year-old to win that race, when you think back on it, it's just phenomenal. Visiting with Hall of Fame driver, John Campbell, talking about the great Maclow Bell. John, what would you consider... Mac Lobel's greatest performance to be? Um, I, I, I couldn't really narrow that down. Uh, certainly the elite lop comes to mind. Um, I, I guess that would be the his best performance because, you know, many of his races he raced so good, but he was just better than the competition. But over there he, he met, the the best in the world as a four-year-old and beat them. So it's just hard to say that he had any performance that had more meaning or was more impressive than that one. Now, John, you won, or he won the elite lap twice and you got to actually go back to Sovala and reunite with Mac LaBelle and parade, help parade him in front of the fans. What was that moment like for you? It, it was absolutely tremendous. I was so glad that I got to see him when I was over there, uh, we went to the farm uh, and, and saw him, and he, it made me feel so good. He was at the best farm at uh, Marguerite's uh, farm in, in Sweden, and they treated him like a king. Uh, he looked great. Uh, he was full of himself. And one thing I did notice, they had the two girls that you know were his primary caretakers, and they were taking pictures, and I was holding him, and he didn't want her out of his sight anytime she got too far away he was looking for her which really made me feel good that he had that much confidence in uh in this this girl that was looking after him and then we took him to the track and we walked him down in front of the stands and you know they the fans treated him like a rock star i mean they stood and clapped and cheered it, it was a never-ending standing ovation walking him down in front of those fans and you know i just felt so so great for him and so proud to be part of uh, the Mount, uh, Mac Bell legacy doing that and getting to see him. And he was in such good shape at that time that uh, I really left there feeling happy. And, uh, you know, it was really an exciting moment for me to walk him down in front of those people. Now, John, you've had a chance to win uh, a few Hamiltonians and you won your first aboard Mac Bell. Uh, talk a little bit about that day. I know uh, watching the race earlier uh, that, he had uh, some stinging issues in his feet that you guys were just a little worried about, but the equipment change uh, really seemed to help him out. Talk about your first Hamiltonian. Well, you know, obviously he was a big favorite going in, and, you know, we, we thought he'd race well, and he did have 
some issues with his feet off and on throughout his career. And, you know, racing in the afternoon, it's hard to keep enough water on the track. The track was a little firm and was stinging him the first heat. And that that's one of the things that makes Chuck Sylvester such a great trainer. Uh, you know, he asked me what I thought, and I said his feet are stinging him pretty good. And he immediately just went and changed his shoes for the second heat. And, you know, some trainers wouldn't do that because they'd be scared of it not working or whatever. But uh, Chuck is always so proactive in that. And, uh, you know, he was confident that the, the other shoes would would make him better, and they did. And though if you look right at the wire, he did roll off stride, and that was just because his feet were stinging him, but he, he won a tremendous race. He was under you know strong pressure to the half and then still drew away by open lengths. John Campbell joining us on Post Time with Mike and Mike. John, where does Mac LaBelle rank amongst the all-time greats? Well, that's very difficult. For, for me, he's the greatest horse that I've ever driven, um, just because he did it for so long like he he was a world champion and breeders crown uh champ two-year-old did all those things at three won the elite lop at four and all the things he did as a four-year-old and came back and won the elite lop at six and you just don't see that in the horses that we put so much pressure on i think he raced 20 or 21 times as a two-year-old and so for me just to have that level of excellence for so long makes makes him the greatest horse that I've ever driven. Where he fits, um, that's, you know, that's different. People have different opinions, but he's certainly one of the all-time greats. He was ahead of his time. If you look at some of his world and track records, it took a long time for some of them to be uh, broken, especially I think the two-year-old record he had at Lexington stood for quite a while. And even the, the mile in 52 you know, if you factor in the different race bikes. And one thing a lot of people don't realize, Springfield is such a fast track, but it was really windy that day. It was not conducive to speed. And so I think uh, where he fits, uh, that's up to, you know, that's a subjective question, but he's certainly one of the all-time greats and was definitely ahead of his time from an athletic standpoint. All of Fame driver John Campbell. John, listen, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here today and going down this memory lane with one of the all-time great trotters, Mac Lobel. Well, thanks. It, uh, I never grow tired of talking about Mac Lobel, that's for sure. No question about it. John, we certainly appreciate you joining us, my friend. Anytime. Thank you now. All right. John Campbell, Hall of Fame driver. We uh, just took a very, very nice emotional trip down memory lane with John and uh Mac Lobel, Mike, and uh, certainly a touching moment, of course. Mac Lobel left us a few days ago, but I'll tell you what, uh, he certainly carved out a legacy for himself and is uh, going to go down as one of the best uh, trotters to ever step foot on this planet, Mike. Yeah, definitely. I was watching a few of his races earlier uh, before the show as I was preparing, and just just how easily uh, this horse won a lot of his races. John was talking about how he broke stride in the Hamiltonian just after the wire, and I'll tell you, John did everything he could that day to keep him together. And I'll tell you what, it just shows how good and how versatile uh, this horse was. When we come back, we'll set the stage for Sunday, the pre de Paris, a very special edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike coming up on Sunday at 10 in the morning. We'll tell you more about it. We have one more commercial break, and uh, we'll come back in just a moment on Post Time with Mike and Mike. Friends of Maryland Standard Breads is an industry support group focused on promoting harness racing in Maryland. Friends of Maryland Standard Breads works hand-in-hand with charities involving children and horses, such as the Harness Horse Youth Foundation. 
Friends of Maryland Standard Breads is actively involved with organizations such as the Maryland Horse Council and the Maryland Horse Industry Board working together to promote the horse industry in Maryland. Follow Friends of Maryland Standard Breads on Twitter and like them on Facebook. We're back on post time with Mike and Mike, Mike Bozich, Mike Carter. We certainly appreciate you joining us on this Thursday. And Mike, I'm not really sure where uh, this hour has gone, but uh, it was a busy hour. And I guess uh, all systems go to uh, Sunday morning, my friend. Yeah, it's going to be a really early uh, show for us at 10 a.m. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are. If you want to hear a English version of the race call, you can check out post time with Mike and Mike. Um, all of the major networks, uh, Harness Link, United States Trotting Association, uh, Daily Racing Forum, they've all got our links uh, ready to go for Sunday. And Mike, I'll tell you, it's going to be an exciting day. It's going to be an exciting race. And I'll tell you, it's only going to be about a half hour, 45 minute show, but we may be witnessing history on Sunday. Well, certainly. And once again, for all the the racing fans out there that pretty much stick to the, uh, you know, the North American product here at harness racing it is so much fun to watch a race overseas and to watch these uh great horses uh do battle uh over the pond and bold eagle is uh, going to be trying to uh accomplish something that is just almost as tough to do mike if not just as tough to do as the thoroughbred triple crown here that is uh certainly one of the things that uh is tough to accomplish and bold eagle is going to be trying to do that uh, and uh, like it's, like we say, and I keep comparing it to the Thoroughbred Triple Crown because you've got a lot more distance of ground to cover in this particular race. Uh, 4,150 meters, uh, just over two miles, and uh, it's uh, not a gated start. Uh, so uh, we're going to see what happens uh, with Bald Eagle. Uh, as, uh, this time he's only got to uh, face 11 challengers, though. It's uh, not like the first couple where there was 18 or 19 horses. Uh, uh, thank the good Lord above for me. But uh, certainly looking forward to Paul Eagle making history. But it's not going to be easy. I mean, of course, talented trotters out there. You know, Tomoko has been battling all along. Certainly one of the greatest trotters in the world, as are others. So uh, we certainly uh, urge each and every one of you to join us at 10 in the morning on Sunday. And, and uh, Mike, make sure you uh, give me that wake-up call, would you? Yeah, I'll make sure I call you at nine o'clock to make sure uh, you got your got at least got at least have your glasses on like uh, like I have to yeah. have. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Maybe it'd be better off without the glasses. Who knows? Yeah, that, that's right. You never know, buddy. So, all right. Well, uh, Mike, I'll tell you, it's been a fun show uh, Sunday again. Don't forget 10 a.m. And uh, if you want to go back and listen, if you missed the John Campbell interview, Mike, I got to tell you, that's probably one of the best interviews we've done uh, on this show is with John Campbell. And you've got to listen from the open all the way to the end. It was uh, it was definitely a humbling experience and a lot of fun. Very, very emotional interview going back. We really didn't have a chance to talk with uh, John about well we're going to have John back and talk a little bit about his driving career and and uh, you know some of the great horses he drove but we pretty much concentrated on Mac Lobel of course one of the great racing legends who passed away just a few days ago and speaking of racing legends Mike uh, we've got a racing legend that's getting ready to qualify uh, I believe tomorrow 
Yeah, our man foiled again is going to qualify tomorrow. He's back for his, I believe, 12-year-old season, over $7.3 million in the bank for trainer Ron Burke. And uh, I hope we're going to try to reach out to Yannick Jingra and maybe have him on next week and talk about maybe how that qualifying effort went. But it's good to see the old war horse coming back for another season. Yeah, it certainly is. The horses loves the race, and we'll see what impact he can make here in uh, 2016. Uh, is the 2016, and really a lot of horses are starting to make their comeback, which you know it's fantastic, Mike, because what that means is is we're not too much farther away from warm weather. Although I do have to say, yesterday it was quite warm here. It was just uh, storming like crazy, but it was quite warm here. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to the warm weather and some of these horses getting going. Wiggle a jiggle, it'll be in action uh, pretty soon, I would imagine, uh, as uh, everybody gets ready for the spring and the summer. And uh, we'll start to see a lot of the stakes horses, the two- and three-year-olds, start to qualify as well. So it's going to be turning into an exciting and hectic time in the sport of harness racing. And we are teaching everyone to be to keep it locked here on Post Time with Mike and Mike, because Mike will have all the action right here for you. Yeah, we will. We'll have all the action. We'll have all the breaking news. And, uh, We'll, we'll just we'll keep it going. Well, Mike, we went into overtime that we sort of <laughs> spent over a little bit, but that's okay. You know what? We had a great time, and this hour and 15 minutes has uh, kind of just flown by. Uh, and we'll be back on Sunday, again, Sunday morning, with a first post of 10 a.m. for the Prix de Paris, live from Vincennes in France. On behalf of Mike Bozich, I'm Michael Carter. We thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week, and we'll see you on Sunday with Post Time with Mike and Mike.